RTL Original Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to The Lisa Burke Show. As many of you have already seen, we now have RTL Today Radio, which you can access through the RTL Today app. Just press the little radio button top right. And my podcast will now morph into this radio show and vice versa. The show will become a podcast. The show is available every Saturday at 11am, repeated on Sunday at noon, and also available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And I always love your feedback. Get in touch, send me your ideas, opinions on all the socials, as Sam Steen would say. Now, as with my previous podcast, each week I'll dive into a topic or a person's life, but we'll also have cultural and news sections. And with that little intro, welcome to my first radio show here on RTL Today. So my guests this week are Sasha Keogh, bringing us her reflections on the week's news, Nikola Zarov, president of Ukraine, and then we'll also talk about the Luxembourg Film Festival with Duncan Roberts and Nikola Steil, who is the founder and CEO of of Iris Productions. Sasha, turning to you first of all, so lovely to have you here after Hi, your first week of news on the radio. How's it been for you? It's been quite a heavy news week. So um, as a first week, um, as the newsreader here, um, yeah, it's been difficult to bring any light and um, difficult to bring a kind of balance, I've found. Yeah, it's been um, extraordinary times really in the world and for the launch of a radio station to have this going on. Well, it keeps us occupied at the very least. And on that note, I mean, we can't avoid talking about Ukraine. So tell us about some of the stories that you've seen develop through the week. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to sort of list the actual um, news stories coming out of Ukraine. I mean, this morning we had uh, the very shocking news that there'd been an attack on uh, the nuclear power station overnight. And just to say we're recording this on the Friday and it's a developing story by the time you hear it more may have changed. Yes, absolutely. So the sort of general impressions are that we, of course, um, are seeing are of refugees, uh, Luxembourg's response um, with aid convoys, um, sending medicines and clothes. There have been lots and lots of uh, aid organisations that have sprung up, also through the socials mainly, Polish and Ukrainian um, groups on places like Facebook asking for goods to be sent and for people to drive lorries across. So I, I think that's Amazing. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that with Nicola from the Ukraine Association when he comes in, in in a little while. It's been extraordinary, the amount of help that people want to give. Yeah, I think it makes us all feel that we're doing something and not just watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The pictures that are coming out are quite um, disturbing, you know. So I think for a lot of people, for children at schools and things, it's 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 a quite a stressful time for them as well. I mean, yeah. obviously not in comparison to what people are actually going through. And as you noted as well, it's almost reminiscent of a bygone time where you have the women and children exiting the country, but the men having to return back and fight for the country. I have to say, I was very moved by that, I saw a couple of um, stories that, uh, you know, it, it's also because people are so young and it was a 19-year-old girl with her, her teenage sister and her boyfriend brought her to the border and then he said goodbye and turned back and you think, it's unbelievable to see scenes like that uh, in this day. You didn't think you would. No, given that we also have teenage children, I know your children are around yeah. about that age, so no doubt it was even more poignant for you because you're thinking, they are still so young. 
Yeah, I'm afraid we all personalise the news, don't you? And you find things more moving that affect you, yes. Absolutely. Just moving aside from that, coming up next week, we've got International Women's Day. And of course, March is International Women's Month. So any reflections on that? Well, the... the Interesting. Again, I can't keep Ukraine out of it. But one of the things I noticed was with the reporting that, of course, a lot of women reporters are based in Ukraine. Um, And, you know, you see live newscasts from underground cellars from uh, everywhere. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by, by the women that are reporting um, from there. And also, as we said, that it's it's women, mainly women refugees, which is so different to the refugee crises we've, we've seen so far, where it's majority being young, single men coming over to, to Europe. Yeah, that is a, a real difference. And I think um, it just feels very close because I think here in Luxembourg, we all know people from Ukraine and Russia and all of the neighbouring countries, and I know your husband is Polish, so perhaps you're having conversations in your family which are even more associated with the situation. Yeah, it does feel very close, I have to say. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that goes for everyone living in Luxembourg. That's true, because we have so many international friends here. And in fact, there's been a strange reaction here in Luxembourg with people visiting pharmacies. And for those listening outside of Luxembourg, we are quite close to a nuclear power station uh, across the border in France. And I remember when I came here to Luxembourg, monthly I would hear this siren call on a Monday, once a month. And now my dog, she howls like a wolf whenever there's this this siren call. And I didn't initially know what it was. I thought, what kind of alarm are they testing out? But it's the nuclear alert that they test out in my commune of Steinzel once a month. And I was told when I arrived here by a nurse that some people buy iodine tablets I haven't yet, but tell us about this story. Well, at the time, I thought this was a really bizarre reaction um, in Luxembourg to to the crisis, um, is that people have been rushing to pharmacies to buy iodine tablets. But, you know, following the news, you think, well, maybe that's not so stupid. Um, I don't know if it works. I understand it only works for young children um, as a small form of protection. But of course, um, Luxembourg pharmacies have not been equipped with iodine tablets. So in fact, most people have walked away empty handed. But it was a very strange reaction, I found. Yeah, it really took me by surprise. And you're right. I mean, it's hard for us to round up this week's news with anything other than stories about Ukraine, because it's just so dominant, so prevalent in our lives. And not only that, but we think about all of the surrounding countries. Like we mentioned, we have friends in all of the surrounding countries. And indeed, we work with people from all of the countries, including Russia. And I must not leave that voice out because there are Russian people whose voice perhaps we're not hearing so much of. I would say in general, the world has a lot of sympathy with Ukraine, but there are a lot of Russian voices on all sides, 360 voices that we're not hearing. Have you heard anything from the Russian side? I haven't, and I, I, but I, I feel the same way that Russians living in, in Europe, for example, it must be very hard for them um, to hear such anti-Russian feeling and Let's you know. Let's be honest. People protesting in in Luxembourg or anywhere else in Europe at the moment, um, it comes across as totally anti-Russian, and you you forget that you know. Well, it's President Putin, not necessarily the Russian people. Um, so I think it's very hard. I don't know if there's any plans 
for Russians maybe here to sort of say not in our name um yeah, there's, help, there's lots of different voices and thoughts there. And of course, the other thing I always think about, you know, as we both work in media, is I'm trying to hear as many different stories as I can. But even what we hear is not entirely without, uh, you know, uh, a stain of prejudice of some sort. But I try to keep an open mind and just absorb my news from wherever I can. And I do think about the stories when I hear about certain news organisations being closed down in Russia as well, because we're fed a diet of the news and culture around us. And therefore, from that, we absorb and form our own opinions. But that doesn't necessarily make them right. So it's quite hard to kind of navigate this path and keep a clear mind and a clear picture. But uh, we keep doing our best. No, I agree. And and also you have to try, I feel, to sort of concentrate on, I mean, there aren't positives coming out. But, uh, you know, this morning uh, I found it very moving that 150 radio stations across Europe uh, played Give Peace a Chance. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a small symbol but I think it makes us uh, feel kind of more united. It's a very powerful symbol to see uh, people who just want peace and particularly where we're living in a place now not so far away from the smoke that you can see emanating from the nuclear power plant just across the border in uh, Tionville area. And uh, we're all aware it's on our doorstep and it just needs one, two, three dangerous steps before something really awful can happen. So um, keep abreast of the news at all times, I must say. And I, I'm not sure if I can give a lighter note. I mean, the other part of this, I suppose, is that we've all been looking at the cultural aspect a little bit. And um, there's all sorts of sports bans. We're going to talk about this a bit more with the Luxembourg Film Festival as well, with um, some films being withdrawn, in fact. Yes, no, I, I read this morning that uh, Gerda was taken out of the uh, official Luxembourg film competition. I'm sure they'll discuss it. Yes, I mean, the, the reaction from the sports world has been immense. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, today the Winter Paralympics uh, start without Russian and Belarusian athletes. From football to Formula One uh, to... The arts world. The arts well. worlds. Yeah. Uh, I saw that uh, Nepchemtako, the um, Russian sing opera singer, you know, she has cancelled her season at the Met. Um, and then Nepchemtako. Yes. Yes. I, do you know, I sang in a concert with her. Obviously, I wasn't on stage with her. <laughs> well, well, I was on stage in a different form. I, I sang with the BBC Symphony Chorus and um, I have a picture with her. Oh, she is amazing. She's such an amazing performer. I know it's so sad for all of these really fantastically gifted people and a lot of the conductors as well. Um, you know, Valery Gerkiev dropped by the Munich uh, Philharmonie, for instance. So there's there's all sorts of ramifications for many, many people. Um, and just a, a funny story, you know, reflecting back on something you said earlier about the, the Russian people or those who speak the Russian language living in Luxembourg. I was just at the dentist this week uh, with one of my daughters and um, uh, actually my wonderful dentist is Lithuanian and her dental assistant is uh, from Belarus. And um, she was you know, multilingual, like so many wonderful people in Luxembourg. And she was saying to me, um, do you have a word for three people 
uh, in English, like um, both, uh, an equivalent to both for three or four people. And I said, um, no, I, I don't think that we do. I was kind of racking yeah. my brains. Do we have a word for three people like both? We don't. Do we? I don't think we do. Trio of people? But, trio, but no, really but say both that, of you coming you? along yes. to an appointment, a trio. No, trio, we wouldn't no, say that. No. And she said, uh, I said, do you uh, in your language? And she said, oh, yes, we have um, for all of the numbers, in fact. And and, um, and then I asked her what her first language was. And it is Russian. That's her first language. But of course, she speaks Belarusian and various other languages, too. And then she said to me, but it's a very dangerous and sad time to be speaking Russian here. And that made me feel so sad um, because these people are just living normal lives and everybody's being swept up and people are forming opinions um, just because of somebody else's war. And whether their private opinions might be for all sorts of historical reasons, I don't know, but it, it is a very sad situation all around. Yeah, no, it's it's been... It's been really tough, I think, uh, this this week for for people living in in Luxembourg as well. I mean, a much smaller way, obviously. You always have to kind of uh, be careful, don't you, what yeah. you say. But uh, I I have a lot of sympathy for people like that too. Yeah. Really. Are there any positive notes of this week's news that you can leave us with? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a silly story, but I and I love animal stories, so. Um, Six tigers and six lions have been evacuated from Kiev Zoo uh, to a zoo in Poland. Um, it's in Poznan, in the west of Poland. But again, it was quite a story of personal heroism because it was a Ukrainian truck driver who spent two days kind of driving, avoiding uh, conflict zones. He managed to get to the border. They then handed over these animals to a Polish uh, driver who took them across. And um, yeah, there you go. There's a positive story. Uh, That's I so mean, lovely. You know, not again, that animals are on the same level as people. But well, actually, you're touching on another kind of warhorse point of, of, of life. And again, I was moved by a lot of the stories I was listening to the BBC a lot this week of people who are in the shelters with their animals. Yes. And um, yeah, I suppose we, we often think of the animals as secondary to the humans, but they're still there. They're still alive. They still need to be fed and looked after. Um, thank you. Thank you so much, Sasha. And well done in your first week at RTL Today Radio. We can't oh, hear to Lisa. listen to you all of next week. Now, go home and rest <laughs> and have a wonderful weekend. And let's home, hope the sun continues. Yes, it, I think it's, bound, it's supposed to. Thank you Thanks so much, Sasha. Thank you. Lisa Burke on RTL Today Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Lisa Burke Show. It's my great pleasure to introduce to you my first three guests on this radio show. Joining me are Mikula Jarov, the president of the committee of the Ukraine ASBL. And then to talk about the Luxembourg Film Festival, I'm joined by Duncan Roberts and from Iris Productions, Nicola Stahl. Welcome to you all. Hello. Thank you for having Hello. Now, Mikula, you've uh, spent a little bit of time trying to help me pronounce your Ukrainian name, but let's not focus on that. Let's focus on the situation of Ukraine. Tell us where we're at right now. Um, we are fighting. We are resisting. That's uh, uh, the main thing you should know and all the Europeans should know. The situation is difficult. The Russian forces, Russian army is advancing on the territory of Ukraine through different directions. We have some problem in South. Uh, the capital is still holding. Kharkiv, which is in the east of the country, is also holding. So the major cities are holding. We have 
every hour shelling and bombings of the major cities and the civilian infra infrastructure, which is a big problem for us because uh, the army is trying to protect the civilians, but uh, there's nothing we can do with the, with the Russian aviation, obviously. Yeah, and on that point, there is something I think you would like the European governments to do. Yes, please protect and defend the Ukrainian airspace because we can find on the, uh, fight on the ground, but we are outnumbered in disguise. I urge everyone to uh, to close the airspace, Ukrainian airspace, for the Russian uh, aircrafts, or at least to uh, give us the armament to protect the Ukrainian airspace. How big is the Ukrainian population in Luxembourg? Uh, so we were counting about two to three hundred uh, thousand people of Ukrainian origin in Luxembourg. Now, with all the refugees coming in Luxembourg, we cannot estimate the, the current numbers. And how can people in Luxembourg help? Yes, so uh, we have different directions where we are working on. Um, so it's a humanitarian direction where we are resembling and sending the humanitarian aid to Ukraine. So we have uh, a collection point um, in Kirchbid Hospital. And talking about Kirchbid Hospitals, uh, we say a big thank you for the group of Hôpital uh, Robert-Schumann and the uh, Santé Service who help us to organize the logistics and the collection of the goods as well as uh, procuring the, the medicaments to, for Ukraine. We are in close cooperation of the ministry, uh, with the Ministry of Health of Ukraine and Ministry of Defense of Ukraine. Uh, we have green corridors, we have warehouses, so if people want to um, help us, please visit the website ukrainians.lu. You will find the list Uh, of needed items as well as uh, a donations link for medicaments procurement as well as other defensive equipment such as spot uh, proof vests and helmets. Yeah, actually, I did look at that site. But just to give our community of listeners a flavor of what they can give, because I'm sure most people don't have bulletproof vests at home, but they can obviously donate money towards that and the medical requirements that they need on the ground. But if people have things at home that would help, what can they literally bring to help? The best thing is to visit the website because you have a big list. There's, there is nothing that is like uh, less urgent or more urgent um, in this list. But we don't need clothes anymore, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, because we have enough in Ukraine and in Poland, uh, in Polish warehouses. So uh, just just visit the website for the uh, latest information because, because we update the, the website regularly mm -hmm. and you, you can find the, uh, the important um, information and uh, demands on the website. Now here in Luxembourg, we've got um, a sizable Russian community as well. What is the current relationship between the Russian community and the Ukrainian community here in Luxembourg? Um, it's a good question. Um, there are many Russians that are against Putin's war against Ukraine. We, as Ukrainian community, are against any kind of uh, bullying or any aggressive messages for Russian community. But we urge the Russian community to act, to go out in front of their embassy. Unfortunately, in Russia, the, the government can't hear their voice. But here in Luxembourg, we, they have all the liberties they lost already in Russia. So uh, please, if you hear this, make yourself uh, heard also uh, for the Russian embassy, the Russian authorities. And of course, here in Luxembourg, as I was saying to Sasha on the news roundup just a few moments ago, there are many people here in Luxembourg. It's such an international community from the countries bordering Russia, Belarus, 
Ukraine. And it feels very close. This war feels very, very close. And I'm quite sure people right from the Polish communities all the way down to the southern countries are are feeling it for their families. They're feeling it with the refugees coming across through these countries into Luxembourg and other countries as well. I mean, Ireland also has opened up a free pass for anybody from Ukraine to, to go over there. So tell us about your relationship with the adjoining countries, the Eastern European countries. Um, I cannot talk about only Europe, uh, Eastern European countries because because we get um, a lot of support from um, all the European citizens living in Luxembourg and or in the neighboring countries. Uh, we have already about 500 uh, host families on our list who are ready to ac- um, uh, to accommodate uh, Ukrainian refugees. Uh, we are really thankful for all the support we, we receive. And I think that Europe uh, has never been uh, as united as it is now. So once again, a big thank you. Uh, Ukrainian people will never forget the help we receive right now for the, from the European citizens and actually from all over uh, the world. Did you expect this war? We had... Wars in we we are having war since 2014, so yeah, it's been uh, ongoing uh, for eight years now. Uh, the big invasion uh, was not expected, to be honest, uh, from the big uh, the vast majority of uh, of, uh, of the population. But there were bad signs, so people were already preparing themselves for the conflict. But we. Uh, we would never expect that the cities, the civilian uh, infrastructure, will be uh, attacked too. Mm-hmm. What do you think Putin's end point is, his end game? My point of view is that uh, during his speech, where he announced that uh, NATO countries should retrieve uh, to the, 97, uh, the 1997 border situation, let's say it like this, including the <coughs> Baltic countries and Poland, uh, I think his big idea is uh, to rebuild the uh, USSR 2.0. I see that he is quite imperialistic in this, uh, in his actions and his declarations. As it was told, uh, the new uh, fascists will call themselves anti-fascists. So that's what we are seeing right now. So you think this is a legacy he wants to leave behind? Exactly. Do you think there's a threat of nuclear war? Indeed, I do. And, and he's already threatened European countries, the world countries, that he could uh, apply yeah, and press the button. Unfortunately, we can see the situation in Ukraine that even the uh, nuclear plants are being attacked. That's very, very dangerous, not only for, for Ukraine, but for, for the whole world, actually. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to bring in our other guests, uh, because, of course, this situation is not just affecting how we live in Luxembourg and, you know, it's it's garnering community support in all sorts of ways. But last night, we're recording this on Friday morning, last night was the opening of the Luxembourg Film Festival, Duncan, and you said even there, there had to be some conversation about certain choices that were made last minute. Yeah, this was a bit controversial um, and a bit sad, given the situation. On Tuesday, the decision was made to withdraw four Russian films from the festival. One of them was a filming competition. And this decision was taken in consultation with the the culture ministry and the city of Luxembourg, who are the two main institutional sponsors of the festival. Some people have said, you know, culture shouldn't be shouldn't be affected by, you know, the boycotts against oligarchs or sporting boycotts where obviously a national team is is flying the flag of Russia. 
But these films are being made with Russian state money to a certain extent. I mean, the, the film we had in competition is made by uh, a company that is supported by Gazprom. So it's, it's a difficult situation. Um, Sam Tanson, the culture minister, explained yesterday that um, she was reacting to a, a, an open letter from the Ukrainian Film Academy that was sent to f all festivals all around the world, asking them not to show Russian films. They said, and um, we've stressed all the time that this is not an action against the artists, the directors. Um, the film we're showing is actually even critical of the pol political social situation in Russia. It's a great film. It's, it's really sad that it's not in competition. But it's a, it's a message of support for Ukraine. And my po personal point of view, and I think uh, the president of the, the film festival, uh, Georges Santa, said this as well last night. Imagine if this, this film, Gerda, had won the competition. The Russians would be saying, yeah, our culture is great. We're, we've won a competition. I mean, Nicola knows how it is. When a Luxembourg film wins a competition, the whole of Luxembourg goes, yeah, we won. We won in Cannes. We won in, in the Oscars. We've won wherever. Well, they have it's a very a national rich thing. history. They so, do have a wonderful culture and history. And uh, it's very sad that uh, across the arts world, the cultural world, we've had great performers and conductors having to withdraw because they're not giving a political statement for whatever reasons that's personal to them. But yes, it's affecting all parts of our lives. And just to give you a proper introduction, Duncan, you're a journalist here in Luxembourg for over 30 years. Yeah. That's quite a big proportion of your life, Duncan. Yes. And you started your career by writing film reviews for an English language weekly magazine in 1990. I kind of want to know which one it was. It was called Luxembourg News at the time. Ah. It was a very old weekly magazine. Yeah. Um, my very first film review was of Ghost. Uh -huh. I remember it well. <laughs> <laughs> and now you've been editor-in-chief of Delano since it was launched in 2011. In 1997, you co-founded Luxembourg's first international film festival, Cinigma, and you're on the jury of the Luxemburger Film Prize in 2007 and at the Discovery Zone Film Festival, the predecessor to the Luxembourg Film Festival in 2012. And you've been on the Luxembourg City Film Festival Selection Committee since 2016. So that's introducing you. And Nicola Steil, I'd like to bring you in as well. Nicola, you are a film producer and director. You started out, though, as a print journalist reporting from various locations, including Lebanon. And from there, you became a TV reporter at RTL TV, no less. So welcome back to a new building. And from there, you went on to become a director and producer. You set up your own production company, Iris Productions in 1986, one of the first production companies here in Luxembourg. And now it's gone on to build subsidiaries in Belgium, Germany, France through Rizzo Films. So welcome to you both. And I'd like to bring you in, Nicola, also your experience, not only as a film producer, director, but also your, your long history of seeing world news. You started out as a news reporter. What's well, your take on this Ukrainian situation? Yeah, I, I would like to react on that. Um, I'm I'm a producer, so I'm a pragmatic person. I'm I'm result driven, you know, and uh, I think the question we should ask ourselves is how uh, could we all be uh, as as efficient as possible in helping our friends from Ukraine? What is happening here is something which is is going much further than the suffering of these people. It, it's about the suffering of all the people who have to fight with dictators. 
And uh, uh, during years, there were people saying, Putin, you can talk with him, you can make deals with him, uh, we can buy his, his gas uh, and uh, exchange of money, etc., because he's somebody who is rational. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm personally under the impression that for the moment what he's doing is not very rational anymore. Uh, and I'm under the impression that this is going, has results he has not foreseen. Because there are problems also in his own army where you have people, they don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they abandon the tanks. They don't understand why they are doing that to the people of Ukraine, etc., I think this is a, a key moment of uh, history of humanity in the fight between democracy and between people who are dictators. We know them. It's not only uh, uh, Mr. Putin. It's also uh, the head of China, of Syria, of uh, North Korea, of Turkey, etc. These, these old conservative forces, men of the past, who think that we should not be able to live in a world of democracy. And this fight, all of us, we have to to fight against that because, as you put it very clearly before, there is really a danger. And I'm, as a film producer, I just, um, I produced this uh, TV series which was sold um, all over the world and it's called 18, The Clash of Futures. And it's going from 1918 until 1939. And the question was, after 20 million dead people after World War I, uh, how did it happen that we had World War II? Uh, three times more dead people, the Shoah, etc. And now, what we are doing now, we are producing... The Shoah, sometimes we call that the Holocaust. Just the Holocaust, to, yes, exactly. Of course, just and now we, uh, we are producing 41, the share of the world, which is going from 1941 until 1954. We have two persons who have a link with Ukraine because there are six characters. One of them is Khrushchev and the other one is a Jewish person coming from Ukraine, which is Golda Meir. And so you have the impression that history is going on and on and on with the same type of problem. And you have also the impression that many people forgot it or perhaps young people or politicians forgot it. Yeah. But um, it's not a major change. Putin is a man coming from the KGB and he's thinking like that. He's ticking like that. And you put it very right. He wants his uh, dream of uh, URSS back. And this is why he's threatening all these people. And he has to be stopped. And he can only be stopped, I think, not only from us, but also from the people from Russia. And it's so key important that they do something. And this is why... Just putting that, because I want to have it said, and I'm representing not only here my own opinion, but also the one of uh, the Producers Association, we were not in favor of uh, boycotting the films of directors who fight against that man. We have to be efficient. We have to be in favor of Ukraine, yes, and we have to uh, be against Putin, but not against the people, because we produced or co-produced directors who are in jail in Russia because they, f- they are fighting and they, they fight against Putin. And so we have to find the best ways. One of the ways is also to speak uh, about what happened before and, and from where this problem is coming. Because during, you said you are in war since 2014, and during all these seven years, it's, it's clear that uh, 
we didn't take care, we Europeans, about the problem in Ukraine. We closed the eyes. Well, I think sometimes about Crimea. And we're a little bit scared to Donbass. enter because we don't want things to erupt. If I may. So we have uh, a theory and reality. Theory was that Putin was saying that you will have uh, NATO bases in Crimea. And the reality is that Crimea is occupied by Russia. We had uh, the theory that NATO will be in Ukraine or Ukraine would join NATO. And the reality is Russia is attacking Ukraine. So yeah. we have to really declare what is uh, reality and what could be because mm -hmm. we cannot uh, change the reality and this could factor can be changed. But that's touching on the dissemination of information, which is not easy. And I spoke about this with Sasha as well. How do we get our information in the various countries we're living in? How do we find the truth? How do you find the truth? I mean, how do you find that in the Ukraine at the moment? How do you find that in Russia at the moment, in Belarus at the moment? Well, in Ukraine, it's very simple. Our main TV channels have united ourselves uh, themselves. All the journalists in Ukraine, actually everyone is working only from, for one goal, is to protect the country, to defend ourselves. And we will not accept losing any centimeter, even one centimeter of our land. And we are fighting not only for the land, but for the people and also for the human rights, democracy principles, everything which we have built since the end of the Second World War. Lots of nods going around the studio. And uh, just back to your points, Nicola, you spoke so eloquently there. Uh, I made a couple of notes when you were speaking about democracy. Some people might say that democracy doesn't suit every country. I think that democracy is as love. It suits every man, every woman, every country. The, the people who are against that, they are people who think about their own interest, keeping the pie uh, for them and not sharing it. And that's mm -hmm. not the way of the future for this planet. We learned from the COVID that we have to think about environment and how we produce the things. We, are learn we have to learn through this uh, terrible catharsis here that uh, there is only one way, the uh, way um, of sharing and the way of respecting each other. That was another point that became very evident uh, through the COVID pandemic. European countries didn't work together, but for Ukraine, they have worked together and extraordinarily fast for European Union. Because they feel threatened. Well, yes. They understood that. <laughs> yeah, it's on our doorstep, literally. Mm. Um, but coming back to the, the way in which boycotts can be made and the power of film, tell us, in your experiences, both of you, Duncan, you as well, how can film be a powerhouse to showcase and to change people's minds for, in your opinion, the better? For me, it's very simple, but uh, that's my way. I mean, this series I'm talking about was uh, shown in um, 17 different countries, 20 countries, and more than 50 million people watched it. And they listened and looked at what happened and they will do the same for the next series. And this is key important because we have to learn, we have to remember and we have to understand from the past. Because if you don't know your past, you don't know where, where to go. Yeah, and that brings us back to something else you said earlier, which is that um, we have this circularity of history and history repeats itself because uh, many of us don't know world history, in fact. Well, that's a much bigger question about history mm. is taught in schools and what history we get. <laughs> yeah, and fact-checking, as you put it uh, before, is so important because we live uh, in a world where what, for example, Putin is telling 
He's telling his own people that he's going for the Nazis in Ukraine. This is so stupid. This is so perverse. Uh, but uh, the problem is that this man is believing his own lies and mm -hmm. he's trying to make the people of Russia to believe that. Well, Mikola, I'd like to ask you, why do you think he said that? Because he didn't say it for no reason. He knows that your leader is Jewish. So why do you think he said that? Putin is trying to frighten their own people. So he uses the Nazi thematics just because people still remember how it went in 1945, when, uh, actually 39 to 45. Mm -hmm. And in Russia, it was 41 to 45. So uh, this thematics was all over the air during the last 20 years, maybe. Putin was saying, okay, we are the country who won the war. We are strong. We can repeat this. So when you see the parades in, in Moscow, you can still see the cars with uh, writing such as like uh, to Berlin. Like a moving museum. Yes, and actually um, that's a big problem uh, for the Russian people because uh, they live the past and uh, they forget to live the future. And um, it's it's so strange uh, that we, 80 years before, uh, after the, 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 the biggest war in the history, still uh, can uh, allow such people who refer themselves to, to, to national leaders to allow them uh, to attack a freedom and uh, an independent country such as Ukraine, which has like 40 mil uh, millions of population. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, once again, uh, he's using the, the Nazi appeal just to make people afraid. Mm -hmm. They don't have information in Russia. Actually, the media is closed. The people who are going on the streets, they're being taken to prison. So Facebook, Google, YouTube is still uh, on, if I'm not mistaken, yes. but many independent medias are already closed and under th sanctions. So that's why we, we appeal to the people who are living here and still can call their relatives in Russia to call them and talk about the situation, what's really happening. Because But even when they do, sometimes people don't believe them. Yeah, that's propaganda, um, which is uh, even worse than uh, uh, Goebbels' uh, propaganda in, during the Second World War, unfortunately. Yeah. But we have to, to act against this. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to turn my attention a little bit now to uh, the Luxembourg Film Festival. I know you opened last night. So tell us, firstly, how does the selection committee work? There are nine of us on the selection committee. We've changed the, the membership of quite a bit since I joined. Um, some of the old veterans have left. Um, we've got lots of new blood. So I'm, I'm actually, age-wise, I'm the oldest. And we start in about late August, early September. We start meeting and looking at films, um, films that have been submitted to us, but films that we've also sought out um, after some of us have been to, to other festivals around the world. And then the real work starts, I would say, mid-October to mid-January. Then we're in full, full mode. Well, we have a, a shared platform where we list all the films and there are 768 films on the platform. How do you even get to watch that <laughs> many films? We each watch 768 <laughs> films. But, but you but still have to watch a fair proportion yeah, of them. Yeah, we watch a fair proportion. I mean, there are some weekends where we're watching 10 films in, over a weekend. Wow. But it's, it's great work. For, for anybody who loves film, it's great work. Um, There are some films where you can, where you can, after 20 minutes, you can say, sadly, I mean, Nicola wouldn't probably like this, but no, there are some films where you can just say, no, this is, for various reasons, it's not for, for our festival or it's just not 
good at all. Yeah, and you have to kind of match the films to your audience, which is this yeah. diverse community of Luxembourg. Yeah. I mean, we have an official competition, so there are eight, well, now seven films in the competition. Um, the competition is, we try to have gender parity. Um, it's not always possible, but this was actually the first time we had more female directors than male directors in the wow. official competition. Amazing. Um, we try to have some sort of thematic diversity as well. We have some quite classical structured films and we have some that we have now labelled outside the box, um, where the structure is experimental or different, uh, distinctive. Um, geographically, we're quite widespread as well. I mean, we've always had, over the past few years, I would say a lot of films coming from South America. South American filmmaking has really developed over the last decade and there's some amazing films coming from there. Um, but we also have an Iranian film, we have a Portuguese film, we have uh, a Polish <coughs> film, we have a Ukrainian film, um, which is called Reflection. And it is the second part of a trilogy by uh, a director called Valentin uh, Vazianovich. And it's a, it is, it does actually talk about the Ukraine war in 2014. Um, the first film we showed two years ago, it was called Atlantis, and it imagined the sort of post-apocalyptic, and, and this, sorry I'm talking about this now, but it, it sort of imagined the post-apocalyptic vision of what Ukraine would be like after the Russians have captured it. My goodness, I'm just um, thinking how ironic that you had a Ukrainian and did yes. have a Russian film in, in the, that shortlist there. And the current film, Reflection, goes back to the actual 2014 conflict. Um, it's about a, a medical doctor who gets sent to the front line and sees some terrible things and his post-traumatic stress syndrome that he suffers afterwards. It's, it's an amazing film. It's being shown three times during the festival. I recommend everybody to see it. And when we have these films from different countries, South America, Ukraine, all over the world, uh, they're probably in their own language. Yeah. How do you have the subtitles arranged? In which languages? I ask that for Luxembourg because it's yeah. such a multilingual country. We always make sure we have at least um, one French subtitled version and one English subtitled version for films that aren't in either of those languages. So uh, Reflection, for instance, we're showing one screening with French subtitles and two with English subtitles. Wonderful. And can people also get to see these films online? No, this year not. This year, because we thought, we thought, wow, this is the first year we're back to normal. 2020, we had to cut the festival short by three days. Last year, we had a hybrid event where we did have online streaming and we had limited audiences in the cinemas. And we thought with the pandemic coming to an end, well seemingly coming to an end with restrictions being lifted. This was a celebration of a return to normalcy. And then, of course, the situation in Ukraine has meant that it's far from normal. Yeah, absolutely. What are the highlights of the festival for you? Anything you're looking forward to specifically? Um, the, the official competition, all, all seven films that we have there are amazing. Um, the documentary competition also has some really interesting films. There's one called 1970, which is about the... Polish uh, shipyard workers strike in Gdansk um, in 1970, which sort of led to Solidarność, uh, Lech Walesa and all that. Um, and it's based on these phone recordings of the, the government leaders and the city leaders and the military. So they've got all these voice recordings. They intersperse those with uh, actual footage. But during the voice recordings, the government ministers are played by puppets. So they have these puppets in these very dark, seedy atmospheres. 
and the way the the situation escalates it's it's an amazing it's amazing to watch it's reminding me a little bit of a spitting image if anybody remembers but, that <laughs> plus the um the yes. apollo documentary that we had recently yeah. of that, that you know that combination of i love documentaries i'm a real super fan there of are some great ones there's another one from from britain by andrea arnold who most people will know as a director of some great independent movies american honey so she's made a film called cow and it just follows two years in the life of this cow and it's just there's no there's no voiceover she's just got her camera right up into this cow's face in right in the falls <laughs> but it's it's amazing you, you you suddenly have empathy for this cow you know because she's that's she's, extraordinary it is a, it's been nominated for a BAFTA so wow well worth watching I love a cow's face actually I mean <laughs> living in Steinzel with the fields and the, the dairy farms around me I do see quite a few cows <laughs> and they have these these wonderful soft faces and, and they're so big and they're so docile and uh, yeah. years and years of domestication of animals Nicola, tell us about all that you, you've always got a, a multitude of projects on. When I was reading about all of your work, I was thinking, how do you find time to do all of this? Tell us, tell us more. Well, um, I'm not a very good sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> lucky, lucky for your work output, <laughs> or therefore your work output. I'm getting up very early and uh, going um, very late in, in bed. So that leaves me a lot of time uh, to work on new projects, series, and also... Um, to produce and direct, and it's it's because I um, I like that job a lot, and I think it is important that everybody is trying to help uh, the development of our world in in the right way. So I think we have a responsibility as producers and as directors to come up with uh, uh, meaningful cinema or meaningful films, also with international appeal. And so, what is meaningful to you? Meaningful is. Um, Subject matters which are important uh, nowadays um, can come from the past or can be about the future and uh, our present lives. Meaningful is uh, that you go out of the movie and uh, you disagree sometimes and you argue about it, you think. Meaningful is that uh, it's education and it's... Uh, helping us to develop uh, our brains. Yeah, and then you said also with international appeal, how do you get that message internationally? Well, it's a, it's an easy one when you are Luxembourgian, you know, uh, because uh, we are not so many. Um, I'm always uh, saying that if um, I don't convince other people to put money in my movies, uh, and if my grandmother is not financing it, uh, <laughs> uh, then I have to go for the audience. So somebody has to like it and some I have to share it with somebody so it's not um, I'm doing the movie for myself I'm doing it for the audience for the people who, who will watch it and uh, this is not only in Luxembourg this is also in the other countries and so the movies our movies have to travel around and it has to have this international appeal especially that uh, we are very lucky people as Luxembourgians we speak many languages French, German, uh, English and, and Luxembourgish and so we have to develop products in these various languages. And so this give, it's giving us then the possibility to expand and to show them in, in, in the various countries. Which language has the most fruitful opportunity to work in when it comes to film and documentary? Well, you know, it's uh, um, very pragmatically. Um, i give you one example. For the moment, I'm developing five different international series and one uh, theatrical movie. 
And so this is already interesting because uh, uh, there's a big shift. I'm developing much more for platforms now, for TVs than in the past, and much less for the theaters. And um, uh, this series, this one which will be really multi-culty, that's the one I, I, I talked about before, which is 41, the share of the world, because the people speak in their own languages, depending from, and we have subtitles. So we will have uh, several, uh, at least six, seven different versions. There's one in German. This is for the German-speaking area, German-speaking countries plus international. There's one in French. There's one in English. Uh, there are two in Luxembourgish. It has to be dedicated to a core market and then it has to have international appeal so that it can travel beyond the borders of those of those countries or of those uh, geographical areas. And I wanted to ask you, and Duncan as well, in your history of uh, watching films, being involved with the, the film prize in various guises and making, directing, producing films, have you observed a shift in what is happening in the way audiences are absorbing their media? I mean, I see it with phones, for instance. I see it with my children. How long should your content be? Should it be shorter? The topics, has there been a shift in the topics, in the way in which people absorb their information? I think there is, but I'd love to hear your observations of this. I mean, one thing we've noticed well, in, in this festival, particularly, we have a lot of films about the ecology, about escaping the city, returning to rural life. Um, but then we also have films where the city actually becomes a character in the movie. Uh, we have a film called Atlantide, which is about sort of life on the other side of the Bay of Venice, uh, but Venice itself becomes a, a character. We have a, a film called um, Lisa and the Blood Bread Moon. Ooh. Which is set in, <laughs> set in New Orleans, and, and it's the sort of seedy side of New Orleans, but that becomes a character in the, in the movie. But one thing we have noticed over the past three years, I would say, is there is a, a sort of shift to crossover movies that are sort of documentary fictions or fiction documentaries. Um, we have a film called Jack's Ride, which is about a, it's a, I mean, it's a fiction film, it's in our competition. It's about a, a Portuguese ta ta taxi driver who comes back to Portugal from New York and is looking for work, but he's encountering real people, you know? This documentary fiction crossover is something that we've, we've noticed quite a lot. Absolutely. Sure. I take it that, um, in, in another way, at the point of view of the consumer, because the, the product is not consumed in the same way as before. This is not only because of the uh, pandemics, it's also because there is a shift um, coming from the fact that um, the people before, they were sitting in front of TV watching what was proposed to you, linear. And um, some people still do that, the one with the grey hair. <laughs> and, but almost more and more people, uh, they go for the streaming and they pick up what is interesting for them. And when we, for example, a couple of years ago, we, we produced uh, this series Bad Banks, which... Uh, was very successful. Uh, very successful. But interestingly enough, uh, we did season one and season two. And we saw that from season one to season two, in season two, the linear, people watching it in linear way when it was on ZDF, etc., was only 50% of the people. The other one, they picked it up, catch up TV when they wanted. And nowadays, this will be the future. You will have a huge library. And in this library, you have the possibility to watch the things you are interested in. And so it's very important that um, 
we make efforts to produce uh, for this huge shop interesting projects uh, or interesting movies w which you can pick up and, uh, and and watch it. So this is the future. And the other, this is as a distributor in France, I'm saying that it's getting more and more difficult to get our author-driven movies uh, in the cinemas. It's a disastrous. The theaters for the moment are there for big American uh, productions, uh, superhero movies, uh, less and less for author-driven movies, and uh, for comedies, yes, and big movies, but it's, uh, it's, you divide the number of admissions in the last five years, you divide it by five. Wow. And so this... Uh, asks a lot of questions about how to finance a movie and uh, for whom am I doing that and how uh, will I bring it uh, to the community, etc. This is also, uh, this is why we have to negotiate with the platforms. And, uh, and there are some good news there because the European Parliament voted a law that the platforms, they have to invest a certain percentage of their uh, the money they do uh, in, in the audiovisual uh, cr uh, creative production. At the end of the day, a series, a high-end series, it's nothing uh, else than a long movie. If I do six times 52, I have 300 minutes uh, to talk about the subject matter, so I can go deeper in it. But the production value has to be the same than the one of uh, of a movie. So yeah, the festivals the production are value important is very high. to identify... Uh, the films which are the most ambitious, uh, creatively uh, and sensible, etc. Only a few of them will make it in the cinemas and will have some success. This is uh, a new reality. I personally don't believe that the people will go back to cinema now as much uh, as they went to the cinema five, ten years ago. I think now that they have this choice... Uh, because of technology, they can also watch these movies at home on their multiple screens because they have multiple devices, uh, the yeah. big ones, the small ones. <laughs> we do, we do. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for your time, your expertise. Nicola, we will be watching everything with um, open eyes and open hearts. Would you like to give us and our listeners a final word? Um, yes, I'm not from the film industry myself, but uh, nevertheless, we have been uh, working with the Cineas Festival for the last years, uh, screening with Ukrainian films too. There will be a charity screening in the mid-March or end-March with the Cineas uh, partners. And the message I want to transmit, the last message, and it's very important, and I hope everyone understands the gravity of the situation. So if we do not do something now, because we are now like in 36, in 1936. We all know how it went when we tried to calm down Hitler and it didn't work. So I hope people do not do the same mistakes right now. Because otherwise, we will not talk about films or other things for many, many, many more years. That's such a powerful message. Thank you so much. I just want to say thank you for all of your wisdom, your expertise. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Nicola. Thank you, Duncan, thank you. for being with me on my first radio show here at RTL Today Radio. Thank you, listeners, for joining us today. As always, I love to hear your feedback, your ideas. What are you doing to help the Ukrainian situation? Do you have other views? And I would also love to hear from the Russian community here in Luxembourg. 
Are you going to the film festival over the next couple of weeks? Let us know. Let us know what films you're enjoying. And finally, don't forget that this weekend we also have the return of the Luxembourg tradition of Buschbrunnen. Have I pronounced that correctly, Nicola? Not bad. Uh, not bad. Buschbrunnen. The burning of winter. A festival where each village has their Burgen, their Burschen lit. And of course, it's always, as in Luxembourg, associated with food and drinks. So with that, have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.